Hey, Border Fuel listeners. Before we start the show, I wanted to tell you why we chose to host Border Fuel Podcast on Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Two, there's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Lastly, download the Anchor app for free or go to Anchor FM to get started today. Thanks for listening to the Border Fuel Podcast. Now, let's start the show. Chiefs Kingdom, we are back for another edition of the Chiefs Take Podcast. My name is Caleb James. I'm going to be your host for today. I'm joined by uh, my guy, uh, secondary expert, uh, Mr. Cody Bell. Cody, how's it going today? Caleb, it never gets old, baby. Another it Wednesday. It never gets old. Cody, we have, we have someone else on this podcast today with us also, though, I think. Uh, we do. A friend of the program, a uh, newcomer into this uh this episode, uh, I'm going to let you all, all you listeners, meet my good friend, Cody and I's good friend, Mr. Peyton Spots. Peyton, uh, we're sitting here recording this in your basement today. How's it going, buddy? Good to be here. Hey, what was it a bad, who was it a bad day to be on Sunday? Bad day to be a Denver Bronco. It's a bad day to be a Denver Bronco anyway, but it was worse this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's kind of hop into it, and I know we usually start talking about offense, but I think I'd be reminisced to say I've said for a while now, Drew Locke is good for two a game, and when I say two, I mean two turnovers, and he lived up to expectations thoroughly this week. Caleb, I had one of my team. You remember that? And there was some hype about Drew Locke. I had one of my teammates tell me that Drew Locke was going to end up being better than Patrick Mahomes. Better? Well, that's just pain. What the fuck is that? Uh, that's some uh, delusional talk right there. That's what you do. That's what you say when you're very stupid. I'm sure he felt like a dummy. That's what you say when your franchise is a dumpster fire and you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know – it's just it never gets old for the Broncos. You know, a week ago they had no quarterbacks because Drew Locke apparently doesn't know how to wear a mask or do it. Drew Locke apparently is like the best at getting COVID, so he at least he's the best at something. <laughs> no, it was uh, it's kind of a beatdown all the way through. I wasn't a beatdown because our defense did give up some rips. But I think we can all agree the best defensive player in this past game was the man. Mr. Dirty Dan, and I'm sitting here looking at his number. Not Dirty Dan. I'm talking about Tyron Matthew. My bad. We're going to get into Dirty Dan here. Because Peyton's been making some really interesting points about him. But when we sit here and look at Tyron Matthew, he had six tackles and he had two interceptions and one big TFL. Cody, I know he's your boy. I'm sure you were jumping up and down all over. I probably kind of spoiled it for you since you were a little behind me and I was all hype calling. <laughs> what, do you, what do you take away from his overall performance? COVID. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I was excited. It was good to see him kind of bounce back. 
Um, it, again, I refer to it a lot, but it kind of reminds me of last year, Caleb. If you remember, he had that big interception against the Raiders um, where he kind of jumped an out route that was far past his responsibility. And from that point on, he was pretty much playing the level of football where he was the best safety in the NFL. So for him to get two this week, this late in the season, I hope that that's something that he can build on and, and start bringing a lot of confidence to that secondary because going down the road, we're not going to be playing the Denver Broncos. So we're going to need that confidence and hopefully he brings some swagger back. You know, and I was really pleased to see him get those interceptions. He's now third in the NFL with five on the season. We'll get into more of that. Who's up, who's first in interceptions, which is Xavier Howard. And we might are going to have to go play a pretty solid Miami defense. We'll get into that later in the show. Peyton, from the defensive side of the football, what kind of takeaways would you take from this game? Chris Jones definitely played a lot better than what he has been showing. So that's definitely encouraging. He had three tackles and uh, one solo, and he def he deflected one pass at the line of scrimmage. Right. So, like, it, not even just looking at the stat book, he affected the game more than you would see on the stats. But, I mean, I've, I've seen it talk about my guy Dan. This dude is leading the team in tackles with 73 tied with Hitchens, and he's a safety. But, I mean, he's just always in the right position. He's He knows where to be, and you got to think that that's what Spags wants, and it's just, it's just great to see. Cody, we've said it a lot on this show, but he is the most clutch average football player of all time. You have to have one guy who is just average at almost every character trait except for heart, hustle, and effort you got to take Daniel Sorensen because he's always going to be the guy that makes the big play when you need it at the end of the game. What did you take away from his performance this week? He had another solid performance. I think he's probably one of our best tacklers on defense from a safety position. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always necessarily bother me when a safety leads the team in tackles because a lot of times your safety, if they are leading the team in tackles, are more of a hybrid guy. So we've seen Dan play in the box a little bit, that linebacker spot. We've seen him play high. When you're moving around that much, there's always – you're always just around the ball more. Um, that doesn't take away the season he's having. He's having a hell of a season. He always seems to be our game closer, which it, it, you're right. He's the most average clutch player of all time. I really do take that to heart. And, you know, I think he's really been just a tremendous player for the Chiefs this year. He's been so clutch and so big in big moments. And you look at it, he's an undrafted guy. And, you know, he's come here. He only – he makes up less than 2% of, like, our actual salary roster from the salary cap standpoint. And so, you know, I can I can live with a guy that's making, like, a little over $4 million a year making a mistake sometimes. That's not going to bother me. But, yeah, you know what bothers me? When there's a person on the Chiefs that makes up the highest paid player on the team currently for this, for this salary cap season who makes up about 9% of the roster – I sit here and look at what he did he's done the last few weeks I don't know that he I think he's had maybe one quarterback pressure in the last few weeks and that is Frank Clark and he started out the game with that big tackle and I thought maybe this is gonna be the game where he turns it around and once again he was just completely stonewalled he had no pass rush moves I don't know I had I had no idea what's going on with him right now he's just he looks like a shell of himself compared to his playoff performance last year yeah well Caleb it's I mean he is a shell of himself but it's just it simply comes down to he's just not winning the one-on-ones a lot of times he's not double teamed he's just left one-on-one -on -one and he just 
he can't get there. He did make the very first play of the game, which was a good play. I do think he's actually probably an underrated run defender, but that's not why we pay him the money we do. If we want to stop, you don't the get run, paid. You don't get paid nineteen million dollars this season to be a run defender, though. You you get paid right. money to be a pass rusher, especially in the National right. League right now. Right, and so he's just he's just not winning the one on ones. No, I mean uh, as soon as we signed him, I thought that's way too much money for Frank Clark. But I mean in the playoffs last year, I mean I, I'll I'll take it. But it's just Matt, like if you believe that he'll turn it up in the playoffs this year, if he's just kind of a playoff guy or not a regular season pass rusher, what's what's going on? We'll have to wait and see. I just I just don't see how a guy can we can say, Oh, he'll just turn it on magically in the playoffs. If you look at him last year, he kind of started to get hot even in the end of the regular season last year. He had that big game versus the Patriots. He had a big game in that last game of the year versus the Chargers. He had a couple of pretty good games to, like, end the regular season. He rode that hot streak into the playoffs where he got three sacks versus the Texans. He closed the game out in the AFC Championship game and in the Super Bowl. He's not showing any of those moves that he won with in those games, though. He's not showing yeah, Caleb, power. I, I was just about to say that, you know, when you think of great pass rushers, you normally can think of a move that they can go to continuously that that'll normally win. And so mm-hmm. when I think back to last year, I think Frank Clark, his best move was just to speed rush off the edge, his ability to come out of his stance and win off the edge and be good with his hands. This year we haven't really seen him do that. So my my question to you is, do you think that offensive tackles have, have picked up on film that if, if he can't beat you with the speed rush, his other moves, whether it's his spin, his bull rush, aren't going to be enough to get back there? I absolutely do. And, you know, there's a lot of times this year I think he's just trying to – because last year, you know, I don't know. I think last year when he had that stomach virus and he kind of lost some weight and they said he was having some issues with that this year, I think he's lost a lot of power since he was in Seattle. Because when he was in Seattle, he was like a big speed to bull, big speed to power guy and then work off of that. Now it literally seems like he's trying to be like a D Ford type player. He's trying to line up and just bend the arc and get the edge and do like a duck move or try to rip the edge. But a lot of the times, I mean, Garrett Bowles, he's a very average offensive tackle. He's just setting to a spot and then pushing Frank Clark past Drew Locke, pushing him past the quarterback. We've seen that now pretty much every week of the season since about week week four or five of the season. So he, he doesn't have a move right now I don't think he can use, and that's really concerning going forward. And the more he struggles, the more and more attention teams are just going to be able to put on Chris Jones and keep doubling him. And, I mean, Chris Jones, you know, he's starting to play better. He's played a lot better the last two weeks, I think, in my opinion. But it's so yeah, yes. for an interior guy like that to have to continuously take that double team or that triple team or just that beating he has to take and be able to get consistent pressure back there. Caleb, there was points in the game it was it was – Late in the game, just when it started getting close and you felt like the Chiefs defense really needs to come up big, and of course they did, mm-hmm. but they were highlighting Chris Jones on some of those, and it seemed like at will this past Sunday, he would just move the double team, just completely move them, which, you know, four, five, six games ago, we were talking about Chris Jones, that he's disappeared, so I think Chris Jones, I think his biggest thing just sometimes is just his effort, because I mean, it was obvious that Double teams, now it doesn't – I mean, it does matter how talented the, block, the, you know, the center or guard is on their double team. But when you're talking about two bodies, the ability to just move two bodies out of your way, that's special. 
So to me, I think Chris Jones' biggest thing might just be his effort. You know, I agree with that. And I think his effort was really put on blast by not only probably his coaches and Coach Spagnola and Brennan Daly, the defensive line coach, but also a lot of Chiefs Kingdom and people like me who do film review because against the Raiders game, there were reps where he was basically just standing flat-footed at the line of scrimmage not doing anything. And that's fairly unacceptable. But – changing gears just a little bit because you know Chris Jones I think he's starting to turn it on he knows he has to be the guy it's just another week we sit here baffled about two players there's two players they both play the same position one of them is clearly a lot better than the other and (laughs) well I mean Peyton we're sitting here in your basement watching the game right right and I'm like oh shit Willie Gay just ripped the edge and he had a big tackle. I'm like, let's leave him on the field. Come out the very next drive. Ben Neiman's in there. And in my head, I go, oh, this is going to be bad. Uh, Denver runs that basic little power play, just a, the most simple power play in the book. To, and they have Melvin Gordon running it. Ben Neiman, instead of stepping up into the hole and just trying to blow up the guard and like trying to just like clog it up. He just keeps flowing out and makes it like the easiest block of Dalton Reisner's career. And all of a sudden, Melvin Gordon has a 66-yard rip. Why do you guys think – because at this point, you know, like we've said, if you claim you know why Willie Gay isn't getting reps over Ben Neiman, other than the fact that we think Willie Gay might not really know what's going on or he might not have that high of a football IQ, you're probably not telling the truth. Why do you guys think right now Willie Gay only played 17 snaps in a football game in which we could have used him because Denver was clearly trying to roll out Drew Locke and get passes in the flats, and they were clearly trying to pound the rock up the middle. Caleb, I've tried to answer this question for the past eight weeks, and I just can't. So I'm going to let Peyton go first. Let's get a newcomer. Let's get a newcomer's take on this because we've just been baffled about why this is happening. Baffled. Honestly, maybe Ben Neiman is like an X's and O's guy, and he just can't – does that train to the field and yep. Willie Gay is the opposite. It's just, just, I mean, you put him in there and he makes plays and you can't account for that with X's and O's. I mean, that's uh, – well, yeah. <laughs> that's – in general, that's basically been our analysis. But the reality is it comes down to making plays. And to Ben Neiman's credit, we do see Willie Gay miss plays. I think he missed a sack that if he was just maybe a little bit more under control, he sacks Drew Locke. Um, but as far as just production out there, it's evident that when Willie Gay's on the field, he makes plays, he makes things happen. He's an impact on the game. What I haven't seen and I have yet to see it all season is Ben Neiman make an impactful play that jumps off your screen and go, wow, that well, was makes, a really good play. He makes impactful plays just for the other team because you're like, <laughs> that was horrible. Yeah. And so – I. To me, it's it's the same thing. I just don't I don't know why Spags doesn't trust Willie Gay to be in there for the length of the entire game. It's almost like he he's he's keeping a chain on a dog that you know plays the best and is the best when he's unchained. Hey, we got four regular season games left, and then it's for real. The real the real season's about to start, so it's time to let the dog off. Very true. And we have true. increased amount of playing time for Willie Gay consistently throughout the year. So that's an encouraging sign for sure. Yeah, I agree. You know what else I kind of like to see? 
I really like seeing old Legereus Sneed out there playing the slot, and I kind of like seeing the Chiefs cornerback starting to get it figured out again and starting to play with more confidence and being a better overall unit. Yeah, Kay, we actually talked about this before the show. Last, you know, last week we talked about that maybe Legereus needs more of an outside corner, and we're just unsure of why Spags, and he did it this week too, has the tendency to play Daniel Sorensen and Tyre Matthew deep, and then he plays with three corners. Um, and the two outside corners in the nickel position. But, Caleb, I thought we saw LeJarius Sneed be very impactful at the nickel position and even play better than I thought he was even capable of playing. He was actually very physical. Um, he impacted the run game as well as the pass game. And when you're talking about your nickel corner, those things are very important. Did you see – I know you showed me that play and I'd seen it. And um, the, I believe the Denver Broncos, their starting left tackle, Garrett Bowles, they ran a little pin and pull, a little outside run, and his job was to block LeJarrius Sneed now. He probably weighs, right. probably weighs about 115 pounds more than Sneed does, and LeJarrius Sneed took him and did like a hump, almost a hump pass rush move and threw him to the side onto the ground and shucked him and made the tackle. That's why I like LeJarrius Sneed, he, and that's why I said I kind of like him. He plays with a little bit of grit. He plays with a little bit of grime. He likes to get in there and get dirty. He plays with an edge, I think, too, because, you know, if he gets beat, he's going to get beat, but you see him out there, he's going to be competing the entire rep. Yeah, and I was just unsure just of his ability to do that, to be physical, um, to make some sort of impact in the run, even if it's not always making the play. Because the ideal nickel for me is more of that safety hybrid type, whether it's like Tyron Matthew or Daniel Sorensen, that they can play well in the box, they can tackle well. And while we do know this, that small school guys and Spags as a defensive coordinator, he loves corners that can tackle. I, I didn't know what kind of impact he would have on the run game, but I, I thought he played really well. Yeah. He answered a lot of questions for me. He did also. And, you know, yeah, and it was pretty telling that Rashad Fenton played one snap and Sneed was pretty much on the field the whole game. I think when the Chiefs secondary, they're just trying to get the best bodies out there possible. And I think Spags yep. that – Legarius is capable of playing all of it. So overall, not one of the Chiefs' greatest defensive performances ever, but it was a little bit better than we've seen in weeks past. You know, Frank Clark, his, he's got to figure it out. They have to have him be able to rush the edge. And, you know, I don't know at this point in the season if they're going to be able to get it done. Hopefully this upcoming week they're able to. But now let's move on to the offense. Caleb, real quick, because there's okay. another player that we were talking about early in the season as maybe being one of the Chiefs' best players on defense if he could build Derek off Naughty. his season. Not Naughty. We Not were talking Naughty. about it before the season, that if he okay. built off his rookie season, he could be one of the best Chiefs players on defense and probably make one of the best safety duos um, for the Chiefs in a long, long time. Now he's moved into more of a, a situational role. I'm talking about Juan Thornhill. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask – Peyton, do you have any opinions on Juan Thornhill and, and why his role has kind of been decimated the past few weeks? I mean, coming off the injury, I mean, Tyron kind of spoke to it. Like, it's not an easy thing coming off the injury. Like, right. And he's kind of getting back to it. Just give him time. I'm still confident in his abilities to make plays for our defense and be a great player. I am also. I think it has more to do with the injury. And, you know, to be fair, Daniel Sorensen's also playing at a very high level, and you're also true. take you're also not going to take Teron Matthew off the field. And I think the Chiefs are trying to get 
I think the Chiefs are almost trying to get out of playing that 4-2 look, the 4-2-5 look. They started early more. I think they've kind of started – Spag has started to realize he's got to have three linebackers in some situations. So I think that could be one of the major reasons. I don't worry about Thornhill. I think, you know, Thornhill, to be to his credit, he actually showed a lot of burst and speed to run down Melvin Gordon on that play. He was the guy that pushed him out of bounds, and he had to come all the way from the opposite side of the field to make that play. And Melvin Gordon, you know, he's a, he's a track guy. He's a speed guy. So I wasn't worried about that. But I, I think it's time to move into the offense, and it was a very odd game offensively, in my opinion, because it looked like the Chiefs could just do no wrong it looked like they they we they moved the ball down the field so easily. I mean, Mahomes to Kelsey, it was just – it is what it's always been. It's easy. He made it look so easy. There was nothing Denver could do. Travis Kelsey was throwing people down. He was just – he was baptizing defenders. But then they get the ball inside of the – inside of the 10-yard line, and that's where the issues arose. And there's a reason why Harrison Butker kicked, I think, five field goals this week. It's because the Chiefs didn't execute inside the 10-yard line. They did not execute in the red zone. And it's frustrating to see how easily they can move the ball just down the field and then get stuffed in there. I think before the show, we were talking about this. And I think we all three kind of have – we have similar opinions on it, but we also have different opinions at the same time. So what do you guys think was the issue with the Chiefs in the red zone this week? I think – I mean, I think the first thing is you have to give credit to Denver's defense. They've only given up 16 touchdowns this year. And I think right now just looking at the stats, that's probably somewhere in the top seven, probably tied for around fourth or fifth. So Denver's got a good defense, and we knew that coming in. We are talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, though. So they've they've got to figure out a way to score on teams and put teams away. We talked last week that, you know, this hopefully that this was a game that we'd put people away early and get our starters off the field and rest them. And keep them out nope. over the playoffs. I think in the red zone, I think we're just we're just struggling. Offensive line play is not great, so the easiest thing to do in the red zone is run the ball. I don't think we're doing that too well. Um, and we're not moving the pocket with Mahomes as near as much as we've seen him pass in the red zone. So those are the two things that I've, I've noticed. And I think it comes down – because I know there's a lot of people that say, God, I just hate it when the Chiefs get cute in the red zone and they just want – okay – how many times in the last year have we seen the Chiefs just run some funky formation or run some odd-type plays inside the 10-yard line It usually turns out to be a touchdown? You're, you can't criticize the offense and say they're getting cute when those plays, like, effectively work almost every game. But what you can criticize, and this is why I think the Chiefs have to do this, the interior offensive line does not have the ability right now. People are like, oh, just line up and pound it in. It's not that simple. If your guards and centers cannot consistently get push up the middle, you are not going to be able to run the ball effectively, and you're especially not going to, be able to run the ball effectively inside the five-yard line when teams are going to be stacking the box and getting ready for stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I've about had it watching Wiley and Ryder go in there and position block people. The Chiefs, I mean, they can't even run zone right now at this point in the season, and that's the most simple basic run concept there is just because they simply – can't get movement. And, you know, I think – and Denver has a good defensive line front. Don't get me wrong. Nick Chubb and Shelby Harris are good players. They have a solid front. Vic Fangio is a really good defensive football coach. I mean, and Denver hadn't beat us in like a million tries. So, I mean, that was clearly – they were going to try to bend, but they knew they had to keep us out of the red zone. It's just frustrating to me to see 
I don't know. I don't know if it's frustrating that you guys see just how easy it is for them to move the ball down the field and then just how hard it is they have to labor so much to try to just get the ball into the end zone once they get down there. Right. I mean, looking at it, I mean, like, if you look at it like that, for sure it's frustrating. But me and Cody were kind of talking about it, looking at it optimistically. Maybe we're just trying to show a whole bunch of looks so teams come playoffs don't know what to expect. I mean, I mean that could definitely be a possibility. It, I mean, like you said, it definitely has something to do with just not executing. But for sure, looking into the future, I mean, yeah, Peyton, how do you do? We, we kind of. I mean, honestly, what are you going to do? That that is true. We're going to score points. I mean, and we'll figure it out. I mean, we we're held to what twenty two points. Mm-hmm. Still enough to win football games in the NFL. Um, real quick, Peyton, before I touch on our theory that we're talking about, because I I do agree with you. Um, 16 passing touchdowns. Caleb, you, you kind of hit on it that I don't really expect much from our run offense in between, you know, inside the 10, five-yard line. We're probably not going to get much out of them. We have an offseason. But, yeah, Peyton, I, I agree with you and kind of that theory that, you know, the most important time to score touchdowns is in the playoffs. Um, Chiefs, by the way, clinching the playoff spot. So, I think right yeah. now Andy Reid, it could be a mix of two things. It could be that maybe Andy Reid doesn't trust his offensive line, which could be very true. They don't look great. He doesn't trust I think, all, I don't think. Yeah, but I think he could be trying, and this is – it would be very strategical if he is doing it. I think he's trying to show a lot, a lot of trick plays, a lot of plays that you won't see the Chiefs run in the playoffs. That way when we get in the playoffs, we have these bread-and-butter plays that defenses weren't able to scheme up all season. Now, that's reaching, I understand. But I'm hoping that's kind of where Andy Reid is going, and that's why he's getting so tricky. And we're not seeing the typical, you know, get Mahomes out of the pocket, flood one side of the field, give him a bunch of different options that we've seen in the past. Yeah, I can agree with all of that. And, you know, we say that like he's trying to do this. The Chiefs had chances to score. They ran the Ferrari package, direct snap to Bell. Instead of just busting it up the middle on that counterplay, Bell tries to bounce, and then it's already too late. And then, you know, not even Patrick was perfect down there this week. They ran that – they shifted into the full house. They had Kelsey to the right, Bell to the left, and they had Tyreek in the backfield. You know, they had a read option on, and Mahomes just gives it to Bell, but they had a safety blitz, and they filled the gap before Bell could really get through there. If Mahomes keeps that ball, Kelsey's able to seal Nick Chubb on the end with a cut block, and then they have a one-on-one on an option play, and it's Tyreek Hill. So, I mean – Mahomes can fake the option and go in and score, or he can throw it to Hill, and Hill's likely going to get the edge on that one. That was my thought. But number, but let's get into Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey just a little. Number one, why the, what are the Chiefs doing? Why do we not have a person whose specific job – they could hire any three of us right now off the street. Any three <laughs> Okay, you have one job. Your job is to watch every play and radio down to Andy and say, hey, you need to challenge this right now. This has to be challenged. Yeah, I, you're talking about the play that Tyreek thought the ball hit the ground and it bounced up in his chest and ended up being a touchdown. He maybe made the greatest catch of all time. And <laughs> we just ran our punt unit out there as fast as we possibly could. Out of the ball. I mean, uh, Tyreek is turning into one of those players that if you're not from Kansas City, you're not an in-market team, you turn in, you tune in 
to watch Mahomes and Tyreek. I kind of compare him to, I mean, it's a loose comparison, but there's some similarities here. So Ocho Cinco and Terrell Owens, you would, you want to watch them play just to see what, what they will do. And Tyreek Hill has that, but he doesn't take it to that level towards detrimental to the team. I mean, he still does some, like, he does crazy end zone dances, backflips into the end zone, but it's never hurting the team. What's your – oh, go ahead. No, that's – Okay. That. Yeah, he did just stand there for five seconds after he caught that ball that got called <laughs> cold. What's your guys' favorite Tyree Kill celebration of all time? Because I know mine is when he jumped into the stands and got the camera against Arizona here a couple of years ago. That was all time for me. That was a good one. I think my favorite might be, if not what he did on Sunday where he just stared at everybody, helplessly right. running at him, knowing that it didn't matter. If not that one, mine would be the the fire hydrant where he raised his <laughs> leg like a dog. I, I thought that one was pretty creative. I mean, he, yeah, he's just someone you've got to watch. Like, that's yeah. begin to watch. I mean, obviously we have Pat, but, I mean, Tyreek is right there. Like, he's – Ever since he's been in the league, like he's been one of my favorite players to watch for sure. You know, it's sheer entertainment. You know what's hilarious? I remember people kept trying to tell, and these are people I used to go to college with, just dumb idiots who used to watch that excuse <laughs> of a franchise, the St. Louis Rams. Shout out to my old roommate, Otto. He used to tell me this when they first drafted Tyreek. He's just another Tavon Austin. He's another Dexter <laughs> McCluster. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, this guy, I'm like, those guys are fast, but this guy's got speed like we've never seen before. And I think that's just a testament to how he's literally, quite literally become the best receiver in football, in my opinion, over the course of his career. And he's an actual football player. Like, those guys, yeah. like, like, they're like – They're gadget. Guys. They're gadget players. They're just he, fast. Tyreek Hill is a football player, and you better, you better tune in to him on Sunday. Shit's going to happen. Some shit. Yeah, Peyton, I, I don't think that's a loose comparison, though, when you talk about, like, Terrell no, Owens and Chad no, Johnson. not at all. I think Tyreek Hill is electric to where I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that go, I want to watch Chief to see what Tyreek Hill does. Because he is – I mean, at any at any point in the game, he could go the distance. So, I don't right. I don't think that's a loose comparison. He's going to let you know about it that's a good does. comparison. He scores a touchdown. I mean, <laughs> luckily, I mean, knock on wood, he hasn't cost us on just a dumb celebration or anything like that. But No, I don't care. He could get as many 50. Bucker's got the biggest leg of all time. Put us back 10 or 15 every time. I want to see the most powerful <laughs> celebrations. No, let's talk are. about him for a minute because he kind of slipped a couple weeks. After that, and he hit five field goals. After that week against San Diego, kind of maybe do you think he got full of himself or was – I mean, I don't know what happened. Honestly. Yeah, I mean – He won us that game. I made the joke after that. I said, this dude's been cheating on his wife and he's been getting fucked up since he hit that 58-yard field goal. <laughs> it's like the opposite of Tiger Woods. When Tiger Woods was doing drugs and hiring strippers, he was the best golfer there ever was. And then all of a sudden he had to stop that nonsense and get married. And now he's not near as good at golf anymore. Kind of the opposite. Yeah. But go ahead, Caleb. No, I mean he's Bucker's playing better. He's he. I mean he kicked five field goals this week. He hit a forty-eight yarder. It was big time. What's uh? Yeah, I think we all kind of thought he would come back to that. I mean, it was just a little. He was struggling there, but 
I don't know if you guys noticed this. They start moving on those PATs because you started struggling with those. And I had the theory on that was he's so used to kicking these far ones. He's only locking into those and he's just kind of treating the PATs not as importantly. They moved, they, they've been kicking a lot of PATs from the right hash now, I think. And he's been much more efficient yeah. on that side. I think it's probably just because he's got, he's a right leg kicker. He's probably getting the ball, probably carries a little bit better for him when he kicks to that side. You know, yeah, he's a guy. He's got the potential to be one of the greatest kickers of all time. But you know who's got the potential to maybe be the greatest tight end that's ever played professional football? It's Travis Kelsey, dude. Travis Kelsey, Peyton, and Tyreek Hill yeah. are tied for the receptions on the Chiefs with 111 each. Next closest player, holy shit, and Nicole with 46. So, do you guys think we need to? Holy shit. Or just keep feeding them. No, feed them. Absolutely not. Yeah. When you've got two, you've got the best tight end in the NFL and a top four, top five, maybe even top two receivers in the NFL. Top one receiver. Just get them their, just get them their touches. Dude. If that means they're the only two that touch the ball, I'm good with that. Yo, on the play that Travis Kelsey baptized that poor <laughs> you look at that play, it's just him and Mahomes have a special. Mahomes and Hill have a special deep ball connection, but what we're seeing from Mahomes and Kelsey right now is like resembling like some of the greatest connection I think we've ever seen in the game. Mahomes is sitting here looking left and looks away until the last second he turns over right, and the defensive back is finally loosened up because he's mugging, he's pressing Kelsey as hard as he can. Kelsey puts his hands on, he's heavily covered, and Mahomes drops the perfect pass in there. Then Kelsey gets it, and he puts his hand into a poor Denver Broncos chest and slams him to the turf. You know, that guy's a family. <laughs> he baptized him. That guy's got a family, dude. He, Travis Kelsey can't be doing stuff like that on national television. That kid's son, in about 10 years, he's just going to look up Travis Kelsey's stiff arm, and he's going to be getting laughed at by all the kids on the school bus, and he's going to be like, oh, that's my dad. <laughs> yeah, did you, ever get, did you ever get stiff arm before? Yeah, I got stiff arm one time. And he's going to go watch that play and go, oh, shit. When have you ever been stiff armed? I've been stiff armed before. You play defense, it'll happen. I've been put into the ground with some stiff arms, let me tell you. I've never been stiff armed before, but I've never been in a position to get stiff armed. But, Caleb, back to Travis Kelsey. I don't know if you feel this way when watching the games, or maybe you do, Peyton. It honestly feels like on any pass play – Anytime during the play, Mahomes could go to Kelsey every single time. That's literally how – when I'm watching plays unfold, it just – even if Kelsey's off the screen, and I haven't, I haven't got a chance to watch film, even if Kelsey's off the screen, it kind of feels like he can just go to him anytime he wants to. If they got that connection for sure. I mean, if a play breaks down, Kelsey knows where to go, where Pat will find him. To Patrick Mahomes – Patrick Mahomes – or uh, Travis Kelsey is Patrick Mahomes' crack. It's just he's got to have it. There's not he's he can't have enough. He can't have enough. <laughs> I I literally think, you know, he's got a long way to go before he catches Tony G. But dude, it's another thousand yard season for him. He's breaking his own records at this point. If there's people at this point who don't want to recognize what he's doing, they're part of the zero IQ football club because what he's doing right now is special. To the level we have never seen before. People would think Kittle is better than him. I mean, what are you watching? Travis Kelsey has the best ability as a PFF. Travis Kelsey is the highest pass blocking grade this year. 
of any tight or run blocking grade, pardon me, of any tight end in football this year. That is PFF. And they gave LeJarius Sneed a 52%, but we're not getting into that because PFFs is PFFs is kind of sketchy. They're only of line play because it's really easy to tell if you do good or not on any given play of blocking. You either block a guy or you don't. So George Kittle set the receiving mark for tight ends last year uh, at 1377. 2018. Two, two years ago. Yeah, because Kelsey had had it. Peyton and I were at that game. It was against the Raiders. Pat threw number 50. We might have been there and getting a little bang. We might have been mangled up in the club section, not really knowing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Kelsey broke the record. And then, like, five minutes later after the game, Kittle ended up breaking it. But, yeah. Kittle's an afterthought right now because what Kelsey's doing, especially being a tight end, and as much as he gets the ball, number one, his longevity has been ridiculous. Knock on wood. What I was going to say is, and again, knock on wood, assuming he stays healthy, he's 400 yards shy of breaking the single-season record. He's got four games to go. Caleb, he might shatter that record, and nobody's talking about it. Everybody's talking – that this is his fifth season with 1,000 yards, which is very impressive. He's getting ready to break the single-season receiving record, receiving yards for a tight end. Now, we do have two tough matchups coming up, and I think that'll be a good transition into this week because this week the Kansas City Chiefs are playing a team last year that helped them get the two seed. And I'm talking about the Miami Dolphins. Now – the Dolphins are probably the most improved team in the NFL between their quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, slash Tua Tungleiboa. They're finding a way to win games, and those are the guys that get their headlines. But when you look at Miami overall as a team, the strength of Miami's team is their defense. And I want to start with a little breakdown of them this week. They have a really good secondary. Xavier Howard, as I mentioned, I he has eight interceptions on the season. He leads the league in INTs, right? <laughs> he leads the league in INTs. So, yeah, that's kind of a big issue. What do you make of all that? Caleb, he is a special, special player. It's – it's in the NFL. Caleb, I'm pretty sure he missed some time early in the season too. So, mm-hmm. for him to have eight interceptions at this point – um, you know me, I'm a big defensive back guy. I follow a lot of defensive back coaches, um, advocates on Twitter, social media. And mm-hmm. it just seems like every week you can almost guarantee it that Xavier Howard is going to have an interception. Yeah, he's been phenomenal for them. And you know who else has been good for them? Former friend of the program, Emmanuel Ogba, former friend of the Chiefs. He has eight and a half sacks this season. And, you know, we look kind of stupid because Ogba is only making – about 20 million he's making not 20 million he's making only about eight million dollars a year for them and he's already producing off the edge he's got a ton of pass rushes he's got a ton of pressures he's getting to the quarterback you know he's a good player and you know I get afraid this week because Mike Rimmers for the Chiefs he's been getting exposed so I worry about him a little bit this week you know they got Kyle Van Noy also former Patriot Brian Flores is doing really good things with that football team overall I'm looking for us this week. I'm assuming we're going to move the ball like we always do. But the thing is with the Chiefs, the red zone, I mean, are we going to take it? Honestly, what I thought was we're not taking it as serious as we could when we get to the red zone just because we know. I mean, most of the time 
we're in control and feel like we can win the game. But this week, against a great defense like the Dolphins, we need to – I mean, this is time to show our stuff. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think the Dolphins – I think they have a spectacular secondary and a good defense. Man, it almost seems like we should pay Emmanuel Ogba $19, $20 million a season, doesn't it? it does. I mean, the production that he's getting compared to what we're getting with Frank Clark. Right. It's unreal. Jeez. I, yeah. And he actually has general pass rush moves. He goes from, like, he goes from, like, a long arm to a rip. He, like, is technical in that kind of stuff. You know, their defense is good, but one area the Chiefs have to exploit them in with is – the fact that they have a very, very poor offensive line and they have, you know, they have two rookies on there. They have like a second year guy who hasn't really played much. So it's a very young unit for them. Their average offensive line grade, according to PFF is only about like a 60%. If there was ever, and especially if it's like a a rookie quarterback, like two of back there, if there was ever a week that they need to dial it up and get after those guys, I think it would be this week. If there was a get right week for Frank Clark, it's right now on a rookie left tackle in Austin Jackson. And this should be a week, you know, who's even going to start a quarterback for them, though? Do you think it's going to be Tua or Fitzpatrick? Doesn't matter to me. I think this is the week they're going to have to dial up pressure. And, you know, they've won some games. They have some targets. They've got uh, Michael Gusecki. They've got uh, – what's his face? Oh, they got Devontae. Devontae Parker. So they've got some skill. Now, I think the Chiefs' corners will be good enough. I think the Chiefs' secondary will be good enough. Hopefully we get to see Willie Gay play a little bit more this week on the defensive side of the ball to kind of maybe rush him off the edge where he kind of showed he could be really good at with his freak athletic ability. But I don't know. Maybe that's something we should they should try to do. I hope so. I think defensively you're right that we probably need to exploit that offensive line and who gets to start. I'm guessing that's going to be a Mike Flores' decision just depending on who has a better week of practice. Um, I think personally it's probably going to be Tua. You probably want to put Tua in a big game like this just to see how he responds and how he does because I think they know that they're probably not going to win a Super Bowl this year. Um, Mm -hmm. They're more or less competing for a playoff spot and to kind of see what they got um, in that quarterback room. But I think the big thing for the Chiefs on offense is going to be able to run the ball. Um, We talked earlier in the show about how good Denver's defense was in the past, uh, how they've only given up 16 touchdown passes through the year. Miami's only given up 14. Now, where Miami does struggle is if you look at all the defenses through about the top 15, they've all given, you know, up somewhere between seven to to 12 touchdowns on the ground. Well, Miami's given up 13. So I think it'll be important and, you know, for our offensive line to maybe establish a run game Mm -hmm. and and see some production out of our, our offensive line. You know, hopefully we can, you know, didn't play this week. He was having a stomach fuse. It was more of the Le'Veon and Daryl Williams show. So I don't know. Speaking of talking about teams in the AFC, what do you guys who is the biggest threat to the Chiefs in the AFC? Obviously the COVID. Steelers lost this week. <laughs> yeah, that no. honestly you might be right, but the Steelers lost. People might be jumping to the conclusions. I would say don't overreact to it. It's just one loss. I mean, shit, we lost to the Raiders, and we we owned them. Um, what do you think about the Steelers game? This- well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who's not the biggest threat to the Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers. All righty. <laughs> I don't think they're the biggest threat to the Chiefs just because I'm not a believer in Big Ben, 
and that offense. I don't think James Conner is a great running back. I think we've played a lot better. Passing-wise, I think we've seen a lot better passing offenses. And all everybody knows a lot of the playoffs are going to come down to how well our defense plays. If our defense plays like they did in 2018, well, then come Super Bowl time, we may be sitting at home. You know, I've been watching the Steelers closely. Big Ben is not what he used to be. He's nowhere close. No. The Steelers have played a lot. Here's the difference between the Steelers and Chiefs. The, the Chiefs have had some really great blowout wins. They go in and take care of business. The games never really feel that close. The Steelers have been in some dogfights, and they got outdueled by Alex Smith this past week, who has one good leg. There is one team in the AFC right now who I think has the most – who has the firepower to go blow for blow with the Chiefs. And maybe this is a really hot take, but I think that's the Cleveland Browns. They put on a clinic against the Titans this past week. They almost blew it in the end. Their defense is not there yet. But offensively, between Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and o not Odell and Jarvis Landry, I mean, not Odell. Odell is nothing right now. He's on the old injury. They have some creative play calling. Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski there. He has really been dialing up some good plays that kind of fit Baker Mayfield's strong suit. They're kind of an explosive team I would watch. I don't think Baker Mayfield is good enough if it comes down to a duel versus Patrick Mahomes to be able to outplay him. But I really feel like deep down the Browns are really the next best team up. And, you know, I'd also throw Buffalo in there. I know we beat them, but they're still a really tough opponent. They're very well coached all around. Josh Allen has really improved, even though we know how he plays when it matters the most. I mean, we didn't just beat them. We beat the brakes off of them. We did, beat, we did. We did beat the brakes off them. That was a must win. That was coming off of the Raiders' loss. They were determined to beat them. Caleb, I think I'm going to disagree with you real quick just on the, on the Cleveland Browns take, mainly because I think they're so limited to how well they're going to be able to run the ball and play action just off of Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. Um, Games they can't run the ball or play actions not open. You've seen them really struggle. What's odd about that offense is since Odell has left, that offense has greatly improved. So I don't know if that's maybe a more balanced play calling or maybe spreading the the ball around to more receivers, more options. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have two of the most talented running backs. We know what kind of a player Kareem Hunt is. And then Nick Chubb, who I think, if I had to take a running back right now and Christian McCaffrey's not healthy, I'm probably taking Nick Chubb. So I don't think that Cleveland, but one game I did, and we watched it um, primetime, is Buffalo. Caleb, now, I, we, we did beat the brakes off of them, but if you watch Josh Allen play, I think Josh Allen threw for like 340 and four touchdowns on a defense that's a top – they're 13th in defense in the NFL. They, they, really, beat up the, uh, they really beat up the 49ers. Yeah. They really did. Well, Cody – I know we're used to this, but Peyton, this is about the time of the show where the show gets its name. It's called the Chiefs Take End of the Show segment. Now, you might not be familiar with this, so I'll let Cody start it out. Cody, for this week coming up against the Miami Dolphin, what is your Chiefs Take of the Week? My Chiefs Take. Clyde takes over, back over the starting position. Le'Veon Bell gets to wash him. I think Clyde touches the ball. I'm going to say 18 times for 120 yards and two touchdowns with 35 receiving yards. All right. Peyton, what is your Chiefs take of the week? I'm saying any – every red zone possession, we're scoring a touchdown. We're done playing around. 
Ooh. It's the time to prove it. Ooh. Ooh, I like it, brother. So that's a hundred percent red zone yep. efficiency. Yep. All right. My Chiefs leak is Willie Gay plays over fifty snaps, and Willie Gay has over ten tackles. And okay. definitely not going to happen, but I really hope it does. <laughs> Guys. We are going to have to do more of these in the very near future, but this has been the Chiefs Take Broadcast or Podcast. This has been brought to you by Arrowhead Live and Borderfield Sports Media. Make sure you're following every one of us on Twitter. This episode will be posted sometime on Thursday when you'll be listening to it. Hey, it's a bad, bad week to be a Miami Dolphin.